Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the saints here in Martinsburg, and I pray that you would bless them as we uh, look at the first chapter of the good news of, the, of Leviticus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can actually open to Exodus chapter 40, the last chapter of Exodus. Start there. Greetings from Lynchburg, Virginia. So we're three hours south of you. And as Peter mentioned, I've been an elder at Providence Church since 2007. Uh, the big news to bring uh, greetings and from the saints down there is that our pastor, Virgil Hurt, who is the presiding minister of the CREC, is in very strong health. I'm sure you probably prayed for him about a year ago when he had a massive heart attack and cardiac arrest, and it's really a kind of a death and resurrection uh, weekend. It was quite an ordeal in our church last fall, but he is in um, pretty strong health, pretty much a full recovery at this point, and so continuing to pastor our church and uh, be one of the leaders in, in the CREC. The text this morning is going to be Leviticus 1, and I want to open with us considering the crisis that closes the book. We may not recognize this as a crisis or a cliffhanger, but there's a very... Uh, uh, we're, we're left with a moment of what is to happen as we close the book of Exodus. So in Exodus 40... The tabernacle has been built and erected, and God has come down and entered his house. The house of the Lord is complete, and God is dwelling in the midst of his people. We would think of this as a a pretty glorious moment, a pretty glorious highlight of the Old Testament. God there in basically almost physical form, if you will. He's filled his house. This would be quite an exciting moment, but it's also quite terrifying. As we come to the end of Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The phrase I want you to give attention to is, And Moses was not able the tent of meeting. A tent of meeting would imply that you could meet there, right? Tent of meeting. But Moses cannot enter. This is the same Moses who just a few chapters before, as the Israelites had come to Mount Sinai, was able to go up into the very highest part of the mountain and meet with the Lord face to face. But this Moses is not able to enter this tent of meeting. There's something wrong as we close the book of Exodus. So, thankfully, the story does not end there. Turn your page, if you will, if you're following along in your Bible, to Leviticus chapter 1. The Lord called Moses. So 
This is the answer to the crisis at the end of Exodus. Moses is not able to enter into this tent of meeting that has been constructed where God is going to meet with the Israelites and be with them, be uh, uh, Emmanuel in their presence. God is going to be in their midst. Moses couldn't go in, but now the Lord calls out from the tent of meeting. As we're entering Advent season and contemplating the coming of Christ, his first Advent, and looking forward to his second Advent, this this, uh, activity of God, this calling out of God, should remind us how do we approach the Lord. I've called, uh, in the sermon series that I've been doing on Leviticus, I've been referring to it as the Gospel of Leviticus because there's wonderful good news here right in the beginning of chapter 1 because the Lord speaks out to Moses. He calls Moses and he shows the way back into this tent of meeting. There's two different phrases used to describe the tabernacle. It's called the house of God. So God has moved into his house. And it's also called this tent of meeting. And you can think of Leviticus as the explanation for how the house of God becomes a tent of meeting. How is it that you're actually able to enter in and meet with God? Well, the first thing is you've got to see is that the Lord has to initiate. And that's what we see right here in Leviticus 1.1. The Lord called Moses. And of course, it's a healthy reminder. I'm probably all aware, but since I've never preached to you, I get to remind you of things that I talk about down in Lynchburg. But whenever we see that all caps Lord, that is the translation of the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so sometimes you'll hear people when they're speaking through the Old Testament, they'll say that name, Yahweh. And that our English Bibles give us a hint. Anytime you see the all caps Lord, it's that special name that God had revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. This is his covenant name. I am who I am. I am Yahweh, the Lord God. So Yahweh speaks to Moses and calls out from this tent of meeting. In context uh, of the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Old Testament, Leviticus is right there in the middle, the third book of the Bible. And in, the, in our timeline and kind of thinking about, okay, what's going on in the history of Israel, we remember that the Israelites are enslaved at the beginning of Exodus. God brings them out of captivity onto, and then they travel for a time in the wilderness before they arrive at Mount Zion. That's in Exodus chapter 19. They're at Mount Zion all the way from that point in time, all the way until Numbers 10 when they depart Mount Zion. So you have the whole second half of the book of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus, and the first half of the book of Numbers all takes place at Mount Zion. And Leviticus really takes place over the course of about a month in actual time. And it's a very, uh, so it's a lot of condensed time at this moment. And there's a lot going on and, and you see sort of different perspectives on what's happening in Exodus, Leviticus in the beginning of Numbers. But God is calling out to Moses to show him how it is that you can draw near. That, I didn't get a title put into the uh, uh, order of worship, but that would be the title if it was printed, Draw Near. And the Lord says, calls to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, speak to them. When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. So this is Leviticus 1, verse 2. The language here is all about coming into the Lord's presence. 
If anyone would bring an offering, the, the more literal translation of that word that we have there, offering, is a near bringing. So, and when it says, if anyone would bring one, it's saying, if anyone would draw near. So there's lots of repetition in the Hebrew of what's going on here. It basically says, in kind of a wooden form, if you're going your near bringing, there's lots of repetition, then bring your near bringing the livestock from the herd or from the flock. So there's four times that that idea of coming into the Lord near to God is used. As one commentator has put it, this is kind of like um, instruction on how to go and get a hug from the Lord, right? from Yahweh. Right? We wouldn't usually think of Leviticus as a book about how do you draw near to the Lord, but that's really what God is instructing Moses. He's saying, when you want to come into my presence, this is the this is the offering that you're to bring. These offerings, again, throughout Leviticus, there's five offerings in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. They're all different forms of near bringing or drawing near to the Lord. And uh, this first one is kind of... Uh, symbolic of all of them, if you will. It's the one that sort of is a picture of the, to the people of being in God's presence before his face. It says in verse 3, if his offering, if his near bringing is a burnt offering from the herd. So we're talking about cattle that are going to be offered to the Lord initially. They're, they're coming from the herd. And it, our translations say burnt offering or whole burnt offering. You'll see that all throughout the Old Testament. And, and if you can take away anything from this sermon, just focus for like the next 30 seconds. Anytime you see that language of burnt offering, the word that's being translated there is a word that means to go up or to ascend. And so the... The English translators chose burnt offering because that's a description of what happens to the cow or the goat or the sheep. It gets burned up. The whole thing gets burned. So call it the whole burnt offering. That does make sense why they've translated it that way. But the Hebrew there, again, it's olah. It's, it's rise up or ascend. So this is an ascension offering. And it's very helpful as you're reading the Old Testament, anytime, so any, I try to train myself to do this, anytime I see burnt offering, I just substitute in my mind, ascension. And that prepares us for what we see Christ doing when he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Like all of this is pointing to Christ as the fulfillment of this system, but we, we get more of the theology if we understand this first offering as an ascension offering. So if his offering is an ascension from the herd, he is to offer a male without blemish. This is Leviticus 1.3. This male without blemish is quite literally a son of the herd. A son of the herd is going to stand in for the worshiper. And the worshiper there is an Adam. That's, that's again going back to the language that's used there. So we're pointing back... God is saying, if any man, if any Adam is going to draw near, this is the process by which he draws near to the Lord. He's going to offer this ascension offering. And these ascension offerings were offered, they were commanded to be offered morning and evening, every single day, uh, once the tabernacle was erected. And so if you think about living in the camp of Israel, Every morning and every evening, there's going to be smoke going up off of the, 
the altar of ascension. That's what it's called out there in the courtyard in front of the tent of meeting with the Lord. And so the people are being reminded on a constant basis daily, morning and evening, that they are in God's presence. As their offerings are ascending up to the Lord, if you're, you know, you could be a quarter of a mile away from the tabernacle and you're seeing this smoke going up morning and evening. So it's, a, it's this constant reminder that they're to ascend, that, that um, through their offerings, they are ascended into the, the Lord's glory cloud and he is there with them, he receiving their offerings. So any Adam can draw near. So this is a regular Israelite, not a priest, who's bringing this offering initially. His offering is an ascension offering, and it's a son of the herd. He brings it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. So if you remember your tabernacle kind of construction, there's the, the outer fence around it. So they're coming to the front at the entrance, and they're going to offer uh, this ascension offering there. Verse 4 says that the Adam, the worshiper, the, the lay Israelite, shall lay his hand on the head of the ascension offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. These are young cows, so, or goats or sheep, so they're smaller than the man. This is not a full-size you know, cow that you're eye to eye with, but it's a smaller animal. And the worshiper lays his hand, and it literally means leans on the animal. And we often think of that, we, we kind of get associations with what comes later in Leviticus, chapter 16, with the Day of Atonement, when the priest puts two hands on the animal's head. That's a transference of sin, when the priest does that, and they actually send that goat away, they don't kill it. Here, what's going on is the worshiper is leaning on this animal, He's bending down and he's commissioning this animal to go where he cannot go. If we again go back in our minds to the crisis at the end of Exodus, Moses couldn't enter into this tent of meeting. He couldn't get into God's presence. If we think back to the original Adam, why could Adam not get back into the garden after sin? God had placed an angel there in Genesis 3 with a flaming sword. If you're going to get back into God's presence after the fall, you have to go through knife and you have to go through fire. And so an Adam, the worshiper, can't do that on his own. He can't survive going through knife and fire to get back into God's presence. So he's commissioning this animal to go in his stead, to take his place. And so he leans upon it, his hand upon the head of the ascension, and it's accepted for him to make atonement for him. Atonement is one of those wonderful English words that was actually created by the translators of the Bible. And you break it down, and it just means at one mint. So it's try, they were trying to find a word that would describe the Old Covenant system, what's happening in these sacrifices. And so Tyndale came up with at one mint. That's what's, we're, we're storing relationship with God in this process. And so they call it the, 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 to make atonement. The Hebrew word has connotations of covering to it. When we talk about Noah putting his covering uh, his pitch on the ark, it's the same root word there in the Hebrew. And it talks about the seat that's over the ark of the covenant inside the holy of holies. That's also the same Hebrew word. The seat, the mercy seat, but it literally just means the cover. And so this animal is going to make a covering for the worshiper. Then, verse 5, the worshiper 
kills the bull before Yahweh. So the worshiper wields the knife initially and slits the bull's throat. This is the going through knife and fire to get back into God's presence. And Aaron's sons, the priests, bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that has the entrance of the tent of meeting. This, is, again, is the altar of ascensions that's out in the courtyard where uh, Israelites could gather before the priests then could go into the tent of meeting. And there, the blood has this purifying detergent quality to it in Leviticus. Leviticus talks later about the life is in the blood in chapter 17. And when the blood is poured upon or, or say the, uh, thrown upon the sides of the altar, it has a cleansing effect on the altar. Then, verse 6, he flays the ascension offering and cuts it into pieces. We're told later that the skin of the animal is given to the priest. So we call this the whole burnt offering or the ascension offering, and all of it is burned up except for the skin. We're told in chapter 7 was given to the priest as, a, as kind of like their system of tithing. Um, so that's the only thing that, that can't go. So even this, this animal is a substitute for the man, for the Adam, in drawing near to the Lord. And the animal's going to go where the man cannot go through knife and fire. But even the animal can't go in his own skin. Right? He's got to have his old skin taken off of him to go into the Lord's presence. And so he is skinned and he's cut up. And then the sons of Aaron, the priest... Put, stir up the, the altar fire to receive this ascension offering. And they arrange wood on the fire. We're told later that this fire could never go out. They were to kind of keep it going all the time. But as you can imagine, as they're going to burn an entire cow or a goat or a lamb or a bird later, they're going to need some more uh, fire there. So they're stoking up the fire, uh, the Lord's fire on the altar. And they start to arrange the pieces of the animal. And these details are actually incredibly important in how the animal goes up to the Lord. It says that the priests arrange the pieces, the head first, the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. So what's going on here is the animal is sort of uh, is being put up in... There's a verticality, if you will. The head is going up first, followed by the body. Uh, this altar is kind of a little miniature mountain. The tabernacle is a miniature holy mountain. As you move into the tabernacle, you're moving up, even though you don't actually go up. Uh, you don't step up. But, but everything about the tabernacle, as you get closer to the, to the Holy of Holies, is all, it's all designed to be moving you up. The same imagery here is this animal is going up in smoke and it's on a little miniature mountain. In our Isaiah reading, when it talks about the mountain of the Lord uh, filling the whole world, we're, we're supposed to get this imagery of uh, God at the top of his mountain and, and us going up to meet the Lord. So the head goes first, 
And it's followed by the fat. Again, we're told later in Leviticus that the fat belongs to the Lord. That's, that's his, the, the richness of the animal. There's other uh, sacrifices where the, uh, or offerings that the, um, both the priests could eat portions of it or the worshiper could eat portions of it. But here in the ascension offering, the, all of the fat and all of it gets burned up. But the entrails and his legs he shall wash with water. So there's this imagery of a baptism happening here. So the head goes first, followed by the washed body. The priest then shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering or an ascension offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. There's lots of fun things going on in the language there about it being a food offering and a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I'm seeing how I'm doing on time. Yeah, I think we can get into that. Um, So the food offering, one commentator has translated that as bridal food. And let me just get my notes here so I don't mess this up too bad. I'm not actually, you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I got to kind of fake it a little bit. All right, here we go. So the food offering is described as, as, an, uh, as an isha in Hebrew, and it's very close to the word for woman in, in Genesis 1. So when man is first created, he's called Adam. And this had talked about when an Adam wants to come in to worship. And that just kind of basically means man of dust or man of dirt. Or as, again, one of my friends has called it just dirtbag, if you will. That's, uh, that's what it means to be a man. But when he's described later in Genesis in terms of being created male and female, the words are ish and isha, and basically it means flame and flamet, if you will. So when a man and a woman come together, sparks fly, and they become, they get lit up. Uh, Once the woman is created, she lights the man up. And this food offering is a very similar word in Hebrew. This is bridal food to the Lord that he receives as this pleasing aroma. So what do we do with this? What do we do with God to Moses? I hope you could hear in the way of I'm describing this how much this points to our new covenant understanding of what it means to draw near through Christ. The first thing we see is that the Lord always initiates his call to his people. The Lord called Moses. That's how our service was structured this morning. We have a call to worship. God calls us into his presence to worship him. We see that we can't come on our own. We can't come as an Adam to worship him. We can't get back into that garden relationship face to face with the Lord unless we go through knife and fire. And in this circumstance, the animal is the substitute that goes through knife and fire, but we understand that we go through Christ who is our substitutionary atonement. He is the one who uh, was able to pass through death to go to ascend to the Father's right hand and uh, lead us up there. He is, as, the, as uh, Paul describes, he is the head of the bride. He is the head of the church. His head goes up first, and the body follows. 
The body is the body that has been washed. Just like this animal had its entrails and its legs washed, we, as the bride of Christ, are a washed people. We come to him through baptism. We're then united to him in this ascension. So we don't come in our own skin, okay? Even Jesus, all of this, again, teaches the people to be ready for the kind of Savior who would, be, who would fulfill this system. Even Jesus is disrobed on the cross, right? He's kind of like this sacrificial lamb who, is, who is, has his robe taken off as he goes up to the Father. And we cannot stand before God in our own righteousness and our own clothing. We have to be disrobed and we have to put on Christ in order to draw near to the Lord. And to turn to Zechariah chapter 3 where we have a beautiful picture of this, uh, of this, this kind of uh, unclothing and being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is a vision of the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and clothed him with garments. And the angel of and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. So that's just another Old Testament picture of being having our, our, our old skin, our old clothes taken off and clean garments putting on us. So we approach God uh, when we want to draw near to God for that hug, as I talked about. We come in that same fashion. We put off our old self. We are washed in the waters of baptism. We approach in the name of Christ before the Lord, and he is pleased to receive us. As, this, uh, as Leviticus 1.9 closes, he receives us as a pleasing aroma, as bridal food to the Lord, and we're taken up in ascension before God. Later in Leviticus, we see that the, uh, ascensions, or the ascension offering is followed by a peace offering. And in that peace offering, the people actually get to sit down and eat with the Lord. As we draw near, as we ascend up uh, as the, body of, the washed body of Christ, following the head to the right hand of the Father, he eventually seats us at his table and feeds us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that uh, you are pleased to call us to worship to call us to be uh, a clean people in Christ, washed in the baptismal waters, that you are pleased to uh, feed us this feast. And thank you that the Old Testament system pointed forward to the perfect Savior, the Lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world. We thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. Amen.